0: Hey, church family, I am so proud of you for reaching out to God today. I don't know about you, but I need God in my life more than ever. We see the world around us shaking, and it has never been more important to every week be part of what God is doing. So thanks for gathering here, and my prayer for you today is that God speaks to you, that he encourages you, that he inspires you. You know, I'm so proud of you, church, in the way that you're serving all around the world, and right here in the United States, and I'm so proud. So many of you have reached out to me this last week saying, John, how do we live like Jesus now? What does it look like in the midst of everything that's going on in our country to live like Jesus now? And I just want to applaud you. That is the desire that God wants us to have That is exactly what we're called to do. and these next couple weeks, we're going to be answering that question as we always do, straight from the Word of God. Let's start with a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, speaking to us specifically as the body of Christ, brothers and sisters. God says this, there should be no division in the body. Now, we're going to have different opinions on things and wear different kinds of clothes. This doesn't mean we're uniform and we're all identical, but we are united around our faith in Christ and around the teaching of God's Word. The body of Christ has many parts, and all the parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. In other words, if you're walking around the house barefoot and you stub your toe really hard, guess what? Your entire body feels the pain. And this is what God is saying. Our church is a family. And when one person is hurting, all of us hurt. And when one person's rejoicing, we all rejoice. The reality is that right now, many African American brothers and sisters in our congregation are hurting. And it is biblical and it is godly for us to hurt with them and to understand their hurt. This is not merely a political or American thing. This is for us a spiritual calling to be the body of Christ. You know, there's an interesting principle in scriptures. In Numbers chapter 14, it says that the sins of the fathers will be visited to the third and fourth generation. And it's an interesting passage in your life application study Bible. You can really, really go deep studying this principle. But the idea is this. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, every new generation of people inherits a world that's broken by sin in different ways. Now, as Americans, most of us watching are Americans. I know some of you are from out of the U.S., uh, but most of us are here in the U.S., and we've inherited a system where we are still working through the consequences of sin, the evil of slavery. And I don't know if you've ever had an extension cord or a rope, and it gets tangled up, and you're trying to untangle it, and it's just this giant mess. Well, if we're honest, that is the society that we've inherited. I mean, praise God that slavery has been outlawed. And there has been great progress made. But those of us especially who are white or who were raised in white communities, we've gotta pause to acknowledge that there's still a lot of kinks and knots to work out in our society. And especially in the body of Christ, we're called to be a picture of Christ's kingdom. Where there's perfect justice and unconditional love. And so we wanna strive to do this, not because of culture or anything else, but because it's our calling from Scripture. So I wanna ask you to start preparing your heart. Next week, I'm gonna have a conversation with a pastor who most of you know. He has preached on our stage many times, Pastor Clarence Moore. Clarence Moore is the pastor of New Era Church in Indianapolis. Clarence and I will sit down actually uh, at his church and we're going to talk about what it feels like to be an African American today and how we as brothers and sisters can better love and support. You know, I've learned that I had a very big blind spot in my life. I still do. It's not enough to just smile and be nice and kind. That's a great start. But love goes out of its way to understand how others feel. And now that I have an African-American daughter, and as I have gotten closer and closer with other African-Americans, I've realized that I don't really understand what it feels like and the challenges they face. Let me suggest something to you if this thought scares you. There's a narrative right now in our society that says you have to choose between African American dignity or between law and order and justice. And I want to suggest to you, based on the principles in the word of God, that the narrative that you have to pick between African American dignity or between law, order, justice, that narrative is not from God. It is not an either-or choice. God is the source of all justice. So God, of course, stands against looting. God wants police officers who are enforcing the law. He's the source of justice and order. He's also the creator of every race for which he died on the cross. Loving our neighbors and longing for social stability, these are not in contradiction to each other. And as followers of Christ, we are able to fight for the dignity and the rights of our African-American brothers and sisters just as much as we fight for a society that is stable and orderly. And I just want to encourage you as you prepare your heart for next week, don't fall for this lie from the enemy that this is some either or pick one or the other god has called us to both i want to just pray that right now for us as a church and then we're going to jump into our faith walkers study father i thank you that you are the god of order you're the god of justice and lord you're the god who in your brilliant creativity you made all the different races And Lord, you love every single human being identically, made in the image of God, eternally valuable. And Lord, as your church, we just acknowledge that we fall short as individuals in truly loving our neighbors. We too often let fear guide our emotions rather than love. We too often let fear guide our spirit rather than faith. And we just pray as a church family, Lord, would our faith be bigger than our fear? Would we reach out to those who don't look like us, to those who, who maybe are from a different background than us, and would we go out of our way, Jesus, as you went out of your way, to show the love of God, not merely with words, but with actions. So God, as we say so often at Connection Point, Jesus, you are the head of our church. Everything we do and believe is shaped not by the world around us, but by you and by your word. So make us more like you in this area. And make our church more a reflection of heaven, where every tribe and tongue and nation will gather around your throne, equally worshiping you, because you died on the cross for every single person. We love you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, we're in week two of this series, Faith Walker. If you've got a life application study Bible, I wanna encourage you, you can go deeper by reading Hebrews chapter 11. Every person we're profiling in this series is a hero of faith listed in what we call the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11. This week, we're gonna look at a hero, but before we do, I wanna talk about you and your life. And here's a question. What is most frustrating you in your life, or in your world. Now I know for some of you it is injustice, it's some of these big things that are going on with racism or with law and order, but for others of you, it might be something in your habits, something in your family. We've all got things that are frustrating us, don't we? And I wanna invite you right now, just between you and God, be really honest, what is it that just has you frustrated in life right now? And here's what I've noticed about frustration in life. There's two common responses in our human nature. One response is anger, right? You stub your toe and it hurts and you get angry, like, ah, who left that there, right? Well, that's a normal response. In our family, we use the word hangry, especially when we haven't eaten yet and we're just grumpy because we haven't eaten. Anger is a very normal response to frustration. There's another response, when frustration just seems too, too big to be able to solve the problem, you don't know what to do, eventually you can resort to apathy. I've seen this before, we have some wild animals, some raccoons in our backyard that we've had to trap, and when they first get in the trap they're super angry, and then after a little while they become apathetic and they just get kinda worn out. I wonder where you're frustrated, Did either of these describe how your frustration has been affecting your emotions that is just making you angry or it's making you apathetic. Here's the question that we're asking today. Would you like to see God bring good from your frustration? I mean, would you like to see God take your frustration and instead of you living a life defined by anger or a life defined by apathy, Instead, see God do a miracle and set people free and set you free. Well, we're going to learn how God did that for one of my favorite people in the Bible, uh, Moses. Moses is one of my favorite heroes in all of scripture because he was imperfect, just like you and me, but God chose him. And then Moses showed great faith. And I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Moses, but Moses was actually born in a time of racism. The Egyptians had enslaved the Hebrews, or now we call them the Jewish people, the Israelites. And these were two different races, ethnicities. And the Egyptians were using the Hebrews to build their pyramids and really to be a slave labor force. Not only was it a time of racism, but it was actually a time of racist-led genocide. If you look at Exodus chapter 2 and even the end of chapter 1, Pharaoh makes this decree that every baby boy will have to be thrown into the river. Moses' mom, who we may study in a future week of this series, she shows great faith by uh, denying Pharaoh's order and instead of throwing her baby in the river, she saves him and she rescues him and eventually Moses gets adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses ends up growing up in the palace, he ends up actually growing up in a kind of a life of privilege, but as he gets older, he realizes he was adopted, and then he realizes I'm actually Hebrew, I'm actually the same race as all the slaves. And in Exodus 2, verse 11, it says this, when Moses had grown up, he went out, so he leaves the palace, to visit his own people, the Hebrews. Hebrews. And he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. This is so interesting. Moses had to grow up and he had to leave where he was raised to realize this injustice in the world and where he fit in it. And he gets so angry. Remember we talked about when you see injustice or you have a frustration, anger is a very normal response. Moses gets so angry that he kills this Egyptian who was beating one of the Hebrews, and then Moses tries to bury the body in the sand to hide it. Well, Moses soon skips from anger to apathy. Look at this, after Pharaoh finds out Moses flees, he just runs away, he's like, I'm not fighting anymore, I'm running for my life. And when Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. This point he's exhausted. He saw the injustice, he tried to stop it in his own strength, and in his own strength all he did was make it worse. Now he's running for his life, he gets worn out, and now he's in this place of apathy. You know, what can I do? How can I change the world? How can I set an entire nation free from an entire other nation? And Moses goes from anger to apathy. I wonder if you can relate to that. Where in your life have you been angry? Where in your life has your anger turned into apathy and you've just kind of said, you know, the problems are too big? I mean, maybe it's these things that are going on nationally, or maybe it's your marriage. Maybe in your marriage you've just said, it's it's just too hard, I can't do it, or I can't get my finances in order, or I can't beat that sin struggle. I want to encourage you today, there is such a thing as righteous anger. The Word of God says, be angry and sin not. Jesus, you might recall, overturned the money tables when the house of worship had become a house of commerce instead. Now, God's the only one who can really be angry without sinning, in my experience. But sometimes a little bit of anger is good because it wakes us up from our apathy. And I wonder, have you been angry? Have you fallen into apathy? Whether you're angry or apathetic, just like Moses... You can't fix that problem, but God can. Look at Exodus 3, verse 4. The Lord saw Moses. Do you know today, whether you're sitting in anger or sitting in apathy, that God sees you? The Lord saw Moses and the Lord sees you. And Moses makes his way to this burning bush just like you've made your way today to listen to the word of God. And God wants to speak to you from his word every single day. Here's how God spoke to Moses. He says, Moses, Moses, and I love this response. Moses says, here I am, Lord. I wonder if you ever said that. Will you say that today? From your anger, from your apathy, from wherever you are in life, will you say, God, I wanna hear you call my name. I'm here. God, there's things in the world that I want to be part of the solution. There's things in my life that need your power. God, I'm listening. God, I'm here. And I've found in my life that when you call out and you say, God, I am listening. I'm going to search your word. I'm going to pray for an answer. God will speak to you. And here's what God says to Moses. He says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people. Guess what Moses, what angered you, what frustrated you, God says it also frustrates and angers me. I've seen it. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Some of you are watching this and you're suffering and you need to know today that God is aware of your suffering. And now listen, because God doesn't want you sitting in suffering, just like He doesn't want you sitting in anger or apathy. He has a plan, and here's the plan God says to Moses, Now go. I'm sending you, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Now, Pharaoh wants to kill Moses, Pharaoh has an Egyptian army. Pharaoh has an entire civilization. Moses has a few sheep and a staff and a beard and that's about it. Moses can't just go to Pharaoh and set God's people free. And so verse 11, Moses protests to God and he says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? I mean, God, I was raised in Pharaoh's palace. I have a sense of how big it is, how well protected it is. Who am I to even get in there? He wants to kill me. If I show up, they're just gonna shoot me at the door. And who am I to lead your people out of Egypt? God, I'm glad that you care, but you kind of came knocking on the wrong door. I can't fix this problem. And here's God's answer to Moses, God's answer to you. God says, I will be with you. Study the life of Moses, and you will find that the presence of God is one of the themes throughout Moses' entire life. Moses, after he experiences God later in life, he's gonna say, God, unless your presence goes with me, don't send me out. God, if I go and try to do even what is right and just in my own strength, I will fall on my face. God, I need your presence. And whether you're dealing with anger, with apathy, with outrage, with suffering, you've gotta, you've gotta claim this, that God is with you. Through your faith in Jesus Christ, the very spirit of God lives inside you. And not only is he a gentle comforter and a counselor and one who's with you when you feel alone against the world, but he's also the source of your power. God says to Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'll be the comfort you need. I'll be the companion you need in your fight against injustice. But not only that, I will be your power. Verse 14, after Moses gets insecure a second time, God replies to Moses, I am who I am. In other words, it was a way of saying, Pharaoh, he sits under my thumb. Pharaoh, I I can just flick him into non-existence. I can breathe and Pharaoh dies. And these problems that are far too big for you to change these problems that lead you to anger or apathy, I'm over them. Not only am I over them, but I want to use you in my plan to fix them, to show the world that I'm alive, that I'm a God who redeems. And he says, not only, Moses, will you go and through my power set my people free, but get this, by the time my people leave Egypt, the Egyptians are gonna look favorably on you. And they're gonna give you gifts So that you don't go away empty handed. In other words, not only are you gonna leave Egypt, but you're gonna leave carrying the jewelry and the pottery and all their most expensive possessions. God is saying, I'm gonna do a miracle that only I could do. Moses, I'm calling you to play a part in it. Now, here's our big idea. Because we live in a world where our heads are spinning with all these different voices and opinions and you should do this, you should do this, don't do that, don't do that. When your head is spinning, when your emotions are spinning with anger, with apathy, listen to what God says. Listen to what God says. You're doing it right now. Keep listening to what he says. If Moses had just sat in his anger, he never would have changed the world. If Moses had just sat in his apathy by that well, he never would have changed the world. Instead, Moses listened to God, and he saw God change him. He experienced God's presence. He was an agent of God's power, and he ended up changing the world. So let's go back to that visual of anger and apathy, our two normal responses when life is frustrating, And I wanna encourage you today that while God can use anger, He wants to awake you if you're in apathy. And if you're in anger, either case, He wants you to advance forward in life with Him. And I kinda picked this picture that's underneath this because on either side of this road, if you fall off the side, you're, you're done. But if you go ahead, it just reminds me of the kingdom of God. Jesus came to this world to bring a new kingdom where there's justice, where there's peace. And so often Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. How do we keep advancing forward? We say, God, I'm listening. You know, God's word provides stability in a spinning world, in a world where there's so many voices. If we make our standard of what do I do, what's right, what's wrong, what all those voices say, we're gonna find ourselves in a vortex of emotion. Where do you find stability? You find it in the word of God. Because the word of God connects you to the unchanging character and nature of God. Societies will shift and shake. Empires will rise and fall. But the word of God will remain forever and it connects us to the God who is our anchor in unchanging times. This last week, we have a Tuesday night prayer time. Every week, it's online. You're welcome to be part of it any week. It's at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. One of our elders, Harvey Klein, Was part of that prayer time, and and during that prayer time, Harvey shared his heart about what is going on in the world right now, and how we as followers of Jesus should respond. Let's go ahead and take a look.
1: I think um, you know, first, just kind of stating the obvious. um, You know, there's been uh, some some difficult and terrible things that have happened. Um, Loss of life, murder is never. Uh, an easy thing to think about or to discuss. And and I know that personally um, my heart is just grieved to think about that in, in any situation and certainly with what has happened lately. And so as I think about what's going on and people's reactions to that, um, I myself am trying to sort through my own feelings and my emo- emotions on things. And so Um, What I've kind of settled into is really turning to God with those feelings and with those emotions and really just praying and and asking Him to help me and to lead me uh, to think and to feel the way that He wants me to on all of this. Because it's so easy to get swept up in all the different talking points that are out there on on social media, in in the news, um, even what family and friends may be saying. But ultimately, we want to get ourselves aligned with, with what God says on these issues and what God's calling us to on these issues. So those were um, a couple of the points that, that I had put in an email and that I continue to think about. And I think it would be um, a, a good thing for us to also pray you know, for ourselves and for other people who are probably wrestling through this that we can all get ourselves and our emotions aligned with God on this. And, and, and the emotion thing in particular, um, I think is very important for us to be aware of because it's so easy to get swept away by our feelings and our emotions. And I think a lot of what we see um, in, in different cases on all sides of this, by the way, is people just reacting and responding immediately out of emotions and out of feelings and um if we can take a minute and just be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger and let kind of the initial wave of emotions subside um and then then we can really turn to god with those emotions and have a good balance of what we're feeling with kind of that reason and that logic that god is calling to to kind of address you know what's going on inside of us
0: we're so blessed to have harvey as one of our elders overseeing this ministry and i've just been so privileged Walking with him, even in church decisions, in the couple years that I've been here, he's a man of such wisdom. And I just love what he shared there, that our emotions can be all over the map, and where do we find stability? It's in the Word of God. You know, our definitions of what is right and wrong, of just and unjust, they, they don't come from the crowd. If 99% of Americans all said, well, we don't believe the Bible has a place in society and it's illegal to read it, guess what? We'd keep reading it. We we don't get our definition of right and wrong from the crowd. We also don't get it from what's convenient. Well, I'm just going to live my life. This thing doesn't really affect me, so I'm just going to do what I've always done. No, we always get our definition of right and wrong from the word of God. And so when we say that we stand with God against racism, it's because the Word of God says it. When we say that we stand with God for the rights of those who've been oppressed, it's because that's what God said. I love this theme, not only in the Word of God, but in Christian history. As some of you know, if you've been part of our church for a while, that I'm a bit of a nerd. I used to be an investigative reporter, and that I did a big research project. It's actually a book called Jesus Skeptic, and in there, I spent a whole number of chapters documenting the people who ended open slavery in the United States and around the world. One of those was Frederick Douglass, and he's one of dozens who I profile in chapter 10 of Jesus Skeptic. Frederick Douglass had had been a slave. He came to the Lord when he heard the preaching of the word of God. And if you read his autobiography, he says that it's the power of God's word that gave him the strength to fight against slavery. It gave him the strength to fight against oppression. Recently, former President George W. Bush released a statement about everything that's going on in our society and in our world. And in that statement, he pointed to Frederick Douglass, to Harriet Tubman, to Abraham Lincoln, and to Martin Luther King Jr. And I love it because they're all profiled there in chapter 10. You know what they all had in common? A devout faith in Jesus as God. And an on-fire call to go set the captives free, not just from a heart of anger or rage, but because it was the very heart of God. And that's what made them an unstoppable force. In chapter 10 of that book, Jesus Skeptic, I actually show a picture of the declaration of the anti-slavery convention. This was here in the United States in the early 1800s when a group of largely pastors gathered together and said, we will do everything we can to end slavery. And I show it in the book Jesus Skeptic that this whole top part of their declaration is Bible verses. They made their argument from scripture. And I wanna read you, if I can, hopefully without crying, a part of what they wrote because here's the thing, church. This ending of slavery and oppression has started but it's not yet done. And so the question for us is, will we just look back at things like this and say, yeah, look, good, Christians did these things, or will we acknowledge that in our lifetimes, the fight continues? Listen to what these people said. The people who wrote this often had their homes burned down Uh, One of them, a guy named Elijah Lovejoy, three times, he was a pastor, three times his house got burnt down and eventually he got shot and killed because pro-slavery rebels hated the idea of ending slavery. And so at the risk of their very lives, these signers said this, we hereby affix our signatures, pledging ourselves under the guidance by the help of Almighty God. We will do all that lies within us to overthrow the system of slavery, to deliver our land from its deadliest curse, to wipe out the foulest stain which rests upon our nation, the stain of slavery, and to secure to the colored population of the United States all the rights and all the privileges which belong to them as men and as Americans. Whether we live to witness this triumph or perish ultimately as martyrs in this great, benevolent, and holy cause. The people who have changed the world were not merely people who were angry, and they certainly weren't people who were apathetic. They were people who took their emotions to God and said, God, I will be your agent of change. And I believe we stand at a moment, a juncture in human history and in the history of the United States When we in the church say, will we be apathetic or will we join God in his righteous cause of saying that all men and women are created equal and that according to the word of God all are made in the image of God and when they're driving in their car at night or jogging through a neighborhood, they should be treated equally. Let me show you one of my favorite pictures. This is a view from the window of the Reverend John P. Rankin. I get personal about this stuff because it is in my life, but it also as I read about the people who led the charge, risked their lives to end slavery in the United States, so many of them were pastors. And so much of it came out of the Word of God. And the sad thing is, too often you meet Christians nowadays who think, ah, it doesn't affect me, why would I be worried? Well, we should be affected if we know the word of God, if anyone is being oppressed. The Reverend John P. Rankin, this is his house in Ripley, Ohio. This is the Ohio River. And so on the south side of that river was slave territory. And, and Reverend Rankin bought this house right here on purpose because this house was part of the Underground Railroad. You see, slaves who had escaped in the south, they would make their way here by guides like Harriet Tubman. And then Reverend Rankin would use this lamp, and he would signal a certain number of times from his vantage to see if it was safe for them to cross the river. And very often in the winter, on ice, those slaves would run across the river. Rankin and his wife would meet them at the bottom, and then they would hide them in their house. This is what we're called to do. It's intentional, It's going out. And here's the thing. If the Christians before us could risk their lives, Rankin's house got burned down multiple times. Pro-slavery rebels would cross the river and burn his house down. If they could do that, then those of us who are white Christians today, could we not at least listen to our African-American brothers and sisters? and say, you know what, maybe I have a blind spot. Maybe I don't understand what it's actually like to live as an African-American today. We do this not because of political movements, but because of the heart of God. Now let's think about Moses' story. Anger that led Moses to, to no good of an end, God was able to transform that when Moses listened to God. And in the end, God set an entire race free. He uses Moses, and the reason he's able to do that is that Moses listened and Moses obeyed. Moses listened and he obeyed, and that's the path for you wherever you face frustration. Wherever you find yourself sitting in anger or in apathy, the solution is to listen to God and do what he says. Will you join me today in doing that? I know for me one of the applications of this is to continue to listen and obey, so that my daughter, when she's my age, lives in a world, in a society where she's treated equally. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12. If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. This is our calling. You know what else Jesus called us to in John 13? He said, now I give you a new commandment. Believers in me love each other. Just as I have loved you, how much did he love us? He loved us enough to die on the cross. To willingly lay down his rights, to willingly surrender himself, that's how you should love each other. Your love for one another, that's what will prove to the world that you're my disciples. I got a beautiful picture of what I believe God wants to see when he looks down on his church. My family was recently visiting some friends up in Michigan. They've got a cottage on the lake and they put out this mat in the water. It's this giant mat. And because it's floating, if you try to walk on it or crawl on it, it moves. And so my three kids were out there and I saw them you know, kind of wobbling around. And I was thinking, man, what a metaphor for life right now. I mean, in the last week, I've talked to business owners who had their businesses looted. I've talked with police officers in our congregation who we love and who we stand with, who are more afraid for their lives than ever. And I've talked with so many African-American brothers and sisters in our church and in our community who say, John, we're not behind the looting. We're not behind the destruction. The peaceful protests are so big, but it's getting overshadowed by the violence and people who don't even understand that the system's still not fair. They're just using now these, this looting to say, oh, we don't even need to look. And, and everyone, the world's shaking under us, isn't it? And apart from God, our natural response is to say, well, I'm just gonna defend myself. Who cares about anyone else? But I, I saw my kids out there wobbling around, and then I looked out and I saw this. And when I saw that, you know, I was standing on the deck of this this little cottage, I just started started to cry. Because this is what God wants to see. You know, this is what God, He just wants us to grab each other's hands. It's not that hard. But especially those of us who maybe you've only ever lived in the suburbs and you've only ever been surrounded by white people, guess what? You really don't know what it feels like to be an African American until you say, hey, I just want to listen. I'm not going to interrupt with, well, maybe he was doing something or maybe there's a reason or he shouldn't have been there at that time. For once in my life, I'm not going to interrupt. I'm just going to listen. And I loved it after my kids grabbed hands, they stabilized each other. And then they grew even closer and I just love this picture of my youngest right there in the middle and all three of them holding on to each other. Here's the thing, we are the body of Christ. And There's no place on earth that should be a better picture of heaven than inside Connection Point Christian Church or any other Bible-believing church where we will love with actions, where we will listen with empathy. And when we have frustration or anger or even apathy, we will say, God, speak to me. I will listen and I will obey. Lord, I pray right now for every person in our church family. As the world cyclones and spins around us, God, we want to hear your voice. And so we just call out like Moses, here I am, Lord. Lord, I'm here. Speak to me. Call my name. God, I pray in this next week that you would use us, that we would search your word, that we'd be listening to Christian music. Jesus, that we'd be searching out what is the heart of God. And Lord, where we have African American brothers and sisters and relatives and coworkers, that we would go out of our way. God, just as you went out of your way to leave heaven and come to earth, to say, I'm not gonna pretend to understand how you feel, but I support you and I'm listening and I'm here. God, you've called us into this world to be your agents of justice and to declare good news, to set the captives free. And so, Lord, would you use us, would you use our church to be a light and a beacon of hope to set many captives free. And may our church family always be a place where every single person is embraced and loved and honored and dignified. God, we are listening. Speak to us and we will obey.